We continue our series that we started in the book of 1 John called For His Glory and For Our Benefit. For His Glory, For Our Benefit. And it's challenging to see something in the Word of God that benefits you every single time you come from it. But God is making it very clear today that His glory is for our benefit. And I hope you could see that through the Word of God, that even the challenging things, even times God calls us to do something challenging and hard for us, it's always for our benefit. And I love that relationship of God, that we don't have to pick between His glory and, and something that benefits us. And I hope you're seeing that through the book of 1 John as we've been studying together. It's been a really big blessing for my heart. Today's lesson is going to be called, Only Love Defeats the Darkness. Only love defeats the darkness, and we'll get to the text here in a little bit, but today is a special day, it's Mother's Day, and uh, I typically do an icebreaker that goes along with the lesson today. Today I want to do one that goes along with Mother's Day, and uh, maybe you guys remember some pieces of advice that your mom gave you growing up. Try to think of what those were. I'm going to share 10 of things that my mom told me growing up. Some things I listened to, some things I didn't, but uh, she ended up being right on most of these. Things my mom told me growing up. Number one, regarding the use of hair gel. What are you laughing at, Joel? She said, don't use too much hair gel or it could damage your hair. Thanks, Mom. Yeah, she's right. Number two, regarding eating so much cheese. Remember that I ate cheese on everything. I put cheese on everything. She said, careful eating too much cheese or your body won't be able to handle it anymore. I'm now lactose intolerant. Thank you, Mom. Regarding not liking beef, for a while I didn't want to eat beef. I didn't want to eat hamburgers or meatloaf or anything. I, I didn't like beef. And then she said, one day you'll change your mind on beef and want it every meal like your dad does. And now I want beef every meal, like my dad does. Thank you. Number four, regarding where to live, she said, don't live in the South or the Midwest if you want me to visit you. So I moved to the North Northeast so my mommy would visit me and live near me. Regarding ministry, she said, be careful telling the Lord you won't go into ministry. I told the Lord I wouldn't go into ministry, and now I'm in ministry. Regarding not wanting to get married, remember that? I was in a, I was in a wedding at age five, and I, I said, I will never get married. I don't understand why people do this. Not going to do it. And my mom said, one day you'll change your mind on not wanting to get married after you meet a really cute girl. I met a really cute girl, and now I'm married. <laughs> She's right. Number seven, regarding making jokes about having identical twins. I used to joke about having identical twins, thinking it would be funny one day if I had identical twin boys. I did. I, I made that joke many times growing up. And she said, you better not joke about having identical twins. And you guys know the end of the story there. I have identical twin boys. I used to joke with my sister that if I had identical twin boys, I was going to name one Floyd and the other one Lloyd. And that wasn't it. That wasn't just enough. I was going to have Floyd. Floyd was going to have a silent F in his name, which would make him Lloyd. And Lloyd was going to have an understood F in his name, which made him Floyd. And I was just going to do it to mess with them and their teachers and everybody else. And then I had twins. We found out we were having twins one day, and Christy tried to hold it to me. She said, you got to name them Floyd and Lloyd. You have to. She said, you said you would. I didn't because I thought that would be cruel. But I did joke about having identical twin boys, and now I have identical twin boys. 
Number eight, regarding being a leader. She said, you can try running away from leadership, but you were born for it and it will find you. I tried to run away from it, but it found me. And uh, here I am. Regarding pastors, she said, you better respect pastors. They have a hard job and you might just be one someday. Yeah, pastors have a hard job and now I am one. <laughs> Thank you, mom. And number 10, regarding waiting to get married, because I didn't get married till I was 29, she said, don't wait too long to get married. Just find a girl who's cute and fertile. <laughs> she actually said that. I found a girl who's cute and fertile. Moms know what they're talking about, don't they? Sometimes it takes us a while to figure that out, but moms have a lot of wisdom. She also said this, and this will transition us to our lesson today, regarding following Jesus. She said, it's the best decision I ever made, and one day you'll say the same. And I say it exactly the same thing. Regarding following Jesus, it's the best decision I've ever made. If you have your Bibles, join us in 1 John chapter 2. What have I encouraged you to do through the book of 1 John? Simply read it. We'll do the heavy lifting for, for what it means here on Sunday mornings, but I've asked you to read it at least once a week. Let's have a show of hands now. I told you guys this was coming. Has anyone read 1 John throughout the week? Uh-oh. <laughs> we got a few. We got a few. Right, let's work on that. I don't want to have to give you homework, but I am. This is my one piece of homework I'm giving you. Read 1 John once a week. It takes about 15, 20 minutes. In fact, they have this new thing now. If you guys have the app, it will read it to you. <laughs> Right? Just, just turn it on and listen to the book of 1 John once a week. It's going to be an encouragement to your soul. You'll see a lot that you didn't see just by looking at portions of it. Let's read 1 John 2. We're going to be in verses 7 to 11. 1 John 2, 7 to 11. Listen to the word of God. John said, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's our text today, 1 John 2, 7 to 11. Let me ask you a question before we get started today. Is the world getting darker? Yeah. It sure seems like it, doesn't it? The world around us is a dark, dark place. So it's a very simple question. Yes or no? Is the world getting darker? Maybe it is. Maybe the world is getting darker. Maybe it's the darkest it's ever been in our culture here today. It's very possible. But you know what else is possible? It's possible that someone wants to focus us on the darkness by highlighting all of those dark things and making them seem very prominent and very new and very common. It's possible that he's just highlighting how dark it is by showing us the dark things and putting them in our face over and over and over, saying, see, the darkness is winning. The light is losing, the darkness is winning. But we're going to have someone today that's going to say the opposite. He's going to say, on the contrary, the light is beating the darkness. And we're going to find that today, and we're going to have to wrestle with that today and figure out if we believe that or not. Is the light winning or is the darkness winning? We'll get back to that question here in a little bit. But we need to remember the context of 1 John chapter 2. Last week we talked about following Jesus to life, following Jesus to life. And it's important 
to remember the context because he's, what he's telling us today is coming out of last week's lesson. So let's simply remember what John stated to us last week about following Jesus to life. He said this. He says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's what he told us last week. If we say we know Christ, we will keep his commandments. He says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And what we're going to talk about today is one of those commandments, the most prominent commandment. He's going to not leave us hanging. He's going to tell us what that is so that we know that we know him by obeying his commandments. That's what he's going to continue to tell us today. We're going to talk about what that commandment looks like. And remember last week I sort of shared with you what these commandments look like according to the scripture because there really are four categories of commandments that you and I could obey. And that could get a little confusing to go, well, what commandments, Jesus? What commandments am I supposed to obey? And thankfully, the Lord has kind of set it up in a very linear way because he has these two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He said, upon these two commandments hang the entire law. These are the overarching commandments that God wants us to know. If we know anything about these commandments, we need to know this concept of love. Love God and love your neighbor. But then what do we do with the other three commandments? Well, they all build on top of each other. If you notice, the Ten Commandments stem out of loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. They just elaborate on that. They tell you how best to do that. And then when Jesus came and gave many, his many sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he started to elaborate on the Ten Commandments, sharing with us in even greater detail what those commandments look like so that we know how best to keep them. And then the writers of the New Testament continued to elaborate upon Jesus' teaching. And so this system is they keep going back to one another. The New Testament writers elaborated on Jesus' teaching, who elaborated on the Ten Commandments, who elaborated on the two greatest commandments, and therefore they're all holding hands. So the answer is yes, all of them. All of them. But interestingly enough, they all boil down to two. And I'm thankful that God did it that way, that we don't have to keep lists and lists and lists in front of us we just have to learn how to love the Lord and how to love our neighbor by diving into the Word of God, reading the Ten Commandments, reading the teachings of Jesus, fine-combing the New Testament writers and figuring how best to love. It's all about love. And that's what John is going to remind us about today. Here's our simple outline that we want to get to if we have time. Number one, we're going to look at an old and new commandment because that's what John says. It's, it's both. It's old and new. Number two, we want to look at the contrast between light and darkness. And we'll answer that question we had at the beginning. And then number three, if we have time, we want to look at how to love. How to love. Let's look at number one, an old and new commandment. Because he says this right in the text. In verse seven, he says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Do you notice that? John is not telling us anything new today. He's reminding us. He's not writing new doctrine, new commandments. He's simply reminding us of an old commandment. Aren't you thankful for that? That we don't have to keep up with the writers of the Bible. The writers just came to remind and elaborate on what was already written to us. And here at Crossroads Church, even though we have a new pastor, I've only been here a few months, we are not doing anything new here either. There might be a slightly different method and slightly different philosophy, 
But we're building upon the same things that those before us were doing as well. It's the same thing. And that's a blessing to all of us that we don't have to keep up with the new teachers and preachers. They hopefully are building upon the same foundation. In fact, the other day I was listening to a sermon from Pastor Mark. And it was about the cost of following Jesus. And it was really, really good. Really good. And I was just reminded about how great the foundation here at Crossroads Church was when I got here. And that's a blessing to those leaders, and it's a blessing to many of you who are a part of that. And now we've simply come, and we're simply carrying that baton forward. We're not doing anything new here. We're going to continue doing the same things that the Lord has taught us. There's something good about old things. Do you guys like old things? Anyone like old things? I like old things. I'm an old head. You guys ever heard that term? Anyone else like old things? I like old things. Yeah, I like using Blackberry. I have one right here. It's several years old, and I don't care. I like it. I like the keyboard. I like wearing ties. That's not really part of our culture anymore. Matthew, I see it. Well done. I just I have a lot of ties. I like wearing them. It's, it's, it's just one of those things I got, I got used to in college. I like wearing ties. I like Columbo. I like old shows like Columbo that were, that were made well before I was alive. I really like Charles Spurgeon. My favorite preacher of all time. If you haven't checked him out, you got to. Find his books, find his sermons, and for some reason there's a moose picture up there. <laughs> because why not? There's something, there's something safe and tried and tested and, and comforting about something that has been around for a long time. Unlike those newfangled things we have today, right? Um, you ever called something newfangled, right? I don't get it. I don't like it. It's new. I don't want to bother with it. I, I kind of have some of that in me. I told, in fact, I told Janine the other day, I miss the 90s. I miss the, anyone else miss the 90s? Yes. The 90s seemed like a pure time for some reason. Uh, the 70s? Even, yeah, let's go even further back. It'd be nice to have a time machine every now and then to go back, right? Because these newfangled things I can't keep up with. Well, John is saying something to us today, and he's going to remind us that although things change in our culture, Things can be different in the blink of an eye. Leaders can be different. Rules can be different. The culture can change. But there's one person who never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. He never has to upgrade. He never needs a modification. Never has to be enhanced. Never has to get creative. Do you know why? He's perfect as he is. Today, yesterday and forever. And that is a comfort to all of us, that Jesus Christ and his word never needs to get upgraded like pieces of technology or styles or things in our culture. Jesus Christ remains the same because there is no improvement needed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that should give us comfort today. So John is building upon something that is old. He says, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old one that you had from the beginning. It's old, it's ancient. It's also tried and tested. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. I'm going to remind you of something you already know, okay? And then he gets to verse 8 and he says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Well, John, are you speaking out of both sides of your mouth? Have you just contradicted yourself? Have we just realized that the Bible is full of contradictions? He just told us it wasn't new. And now he's saying it is new. How do we understand that? Well, I want you to notice this phrase, too, before we move on. He says, which is true in him and in you. You know what I think he's saying there? I believe he's saying that once you understand this concept of love, God's understanding of love, 
you will want it the exact same way in your life. Because it's good and it's best and it's how the world was created. This concept of love, once we understand it the way God intended us to, we will want it exactly the same way as God wants it. And typically, that's what the Word of God does. Just like that, that list I gave you about things I learned from my mom. At, at the beginning of my life, I used, to, I used to balk at all those things that my mom said. And now I'm starting to realize that maybe she was right. There's a commercial floating around today. I don't laugh at a lot of commercials, um, but I laugh at these ones. <laughs> you guys have seen those. It's kind of basically you're turning into your parents, and they, they have all these things of how you're turning into your parents, and the guy's trying to keep them from doing so, and, and he's basically realizing he can't stop them from turning into their parents because we all eventually do. Isn't that true? Because we all start to get the same perspective that our parents had once when you arrive at a certain age going, man, dad and mom are right. And we never tell them except for today. We like to keep that to themselves and keep them guessing. But, but it's true. We eventually start to see the same things that they see and the same it is with God. The more we grow in the word of God, the more we grow in our understanding, the more we realize God is right. He's right in everything he says. And once I understand this concept of love, I say to him and I believe, God, you are right. And I want it the exact same way. But how is it old and how is it new? How is a commandment old and new? How can something be that way? Is anything in our culture that way, old and new at the same time? Think about it just for a moment. When I was little, um, we had these video games that we used to play, and they were really popular. And I remember this because I love the 90s, I told you. And in the 90s, we used to play these games called Super Mario Brothers. You guys remember that? Yes, I see that row back there. Yes, Super Mario Brothers. And then a couple years later, another one came out on a different system called Sonic the Hedgehog. And they were the greatest video games ever made. And I used to tell my kids how great they were. And they're like, Dad, those are lame. And guess what's happened now, kids? That's right. Guess what's now two of the most popular movies in our culture? Super Mario Brothers and Sonic the Hedgehog. Parents are always right. Always right. Something that was old is now new. And, and that's a silly illustration. I understand that. That's nothing, of course, what he's talking about. But how can something be old and new? Well, this is how. The old commandment that John is speaking about is old in establishment. Very, very old in establishment. So old, it goes back to the beginning of creation. Even before that. That's how old this, this commandment is that John's about to give us. It's ancient. And we're going to prove that here by looking at the Word of God. But it's also new. And it's new because it's new in understanding. It's something that we did know, but maybe we don't know it as well as we should. And John's going to help us all understand the old in the new way. It doesn't mean it's changing. It means we need to learn and grow in understanding. And that's how he's saying it's both old and new. If you ever heard of the Shema, this, this phrase that all Jews and Hebrews would have known ever since the beginning, it started in Deuteronomy 6 with Moses. This is what they would have heard ever since they were little. If you grew up in the Hebrew faith, this is what you would have known and recited ever since you were younger. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord God is one. How many gods are there? One. You shall love that one Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. One commandment for one God. Isn't that interesting? One. There is one God and he desires to be loved with everything that you have. And if you learn that, you'll learn it all. And that's the beauty of our Lord. 
is that it's simple. It's deep, it's vast, but it's also very simple. Children can understand this concept. In fact, even the Ten Commandments, most of them are old. Most of us have heard the commandments ever since we were little. If you've been in the Christian faith at all, you've heard many of the commandments since you were little. Let's look at the specific one, you shall not murder, the sixth commandment of the ten. That's an old one, isn't it? You don't have to tell people this is a new commandment. If I tell people today, even people that don't believe in God, you shall not murder, everyone gets on board with that. You're right. Everyone agrees with that. We should not murder other people. Because it's an old commandment. It's old. It's ancient. It's tried. It's tested. It's not new. If I told you not to murder, you would all agree with me. Because you've heard it all your life. And so have the cultures before us many thousands of years. But when Jesus came, he did something quite interesting. He reminded them of this commandment, and he did this with many other commandments. But let's look at specifically the one about murdering. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 22, Jesus said this. He says, you have heard, because you all have, that it was said of old, there it is, it's old, it's ancient, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I'm reminding you of an old commandment that you all know, don't murder. And if you do, you'll have to stand before God on Judgment Day as a murderer. In the verse right after that, he says, But I say to you, I, the Lord Jesus, say to you, I'm the creator of the ends of the earth, I say to you today that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's a little bit different than murder, right? Now he's saying, if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Wow. Jesus, what are you doing? I thought it was about not murdering. And Jesus says, it is about not murdering. But guess what I'm telling you today? Hatred and anger, not in our eyes, but in God's eyes, is murder. You've heard from who said that to those of old, you shall not murder, and everyone agrees with that. But Jesus says, I'm telling you today that murder is deeper than you think it is. It's different than just physically taking someone's life. It's also insulting your brother. It's also being angry with your brother. It's also name-calling your brother. It's hatred and anger. That's what God considers murder. And do you see how it's old and new? It's old, you're going, yes, I knew that, but you're going, man, I didn't know it that way. And Jesus is going, that's why I've come. Because I'm taking what is old and I'm showing you the right way to go, the right way to think. So let's call murder murder, but let's also call hatred and anger murder simply because Jesus does. And yes, that raises the bar, doesn't it? It raises the bar for how we treat our fellow people. We don't just not take their life. We don't hate them either. We don't become angry with them either because Jesus says it's the same. You've hurt people that I love, and I call it murder. And that's when you have to go, well, I have to change my thinking then on, on what murder is because I don't want to be a murderer. And God definitely doesn't want us to be murderers either. So Jesus said, as he taught this Sermon on the Mount, he said, to the Jews who were listening, the Hebrews who were listening, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. If you're thinking that, you're wrong. I did not come to do away with the law or the prophets. What have I come to do? I've come to fulfill it. 
I've come to show you what it actually looks like. I've come to model it before you. I've come to give you the proper understanding of the law and the prophets so that you can properly know and properly obey. Because everyone thought Jesus was a rebel, was standing against the old system. Jesus goes, I'm not standing against the old system. I'm the one it came from. I'm helping you understand what it looks like to obey it and to appreciate it. And therefore, it's old in establishment, but it's new in understanding. And this concept of love that we're going to learn here today is a two-way street. And it was designed to be a two-way street. Now, it has to start with God loving us because we start as sinners. So God comes down to this earth to love us, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, to shepherd us and to teach us, and he does all the loving at first. God comes down to this earth so that we know love. And it says that in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. But you notice it's not just receive God's love and put a period at the end. No, we're called to love God as well because it's a two-way street. And that's what this concept of love is. God loves us, and then he calls us to love him and his people as well. He invites us into the covenant of love where we all love each other. And John's going to remind us of what that looks like today. And that's how the, old, the commandment is both old and new. In Romans 13, Paul says this about love. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It's so simple, Paul. To learn love, to understand love, to put it into practice, you fulfill the entire law of God. Have you ever thought about that? But how do I obey the law of God? Well, there's only two conclusions. Either I, I can just by keeping lists and lists and lists and making sure I do all of them, together and never miss, or I don't, I punt the law, and I'm just going to be wicked for the rest of my life. And that's when Jesus says, no, they're both wrong. I've come to love you because you can't love me before I love you, but then once I love you, I invite you to love me and my people as well. And when you do, when you obey this one commandment, the entire law is fulfilled. And that gives me great peace and comfort to know that the yoke of the bondage of the old mosaic system is not upon us anymore. We are simply called to love. Now it's hard, and it's costly to love, and we will talk about that. But let's now talk about the contrast between light and darkness, because John does. The contrast between light and darkness. In verse 8 he says, At the same time it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Listen to this phrase, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I'm going to say that again. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter what the, the culture around us looks like, according to the word of God, the darkness is passing away in front of us? And God's true light is beginning to shine? How do we know that's true? Because you're sitting here today. We were darkness. We were all darkness. We were focusing upon darkness. Our focus was over here. And what did God do? He brought us into the light. Amen. By his grace, by his mercy, by Jesus Christ, and said you are no longer in the dark any longer. And many here sitting here today have understood that that happened in your soul. It once was dark, and now it's been shed light into it. And it's all glory to God. And a little over 2,000 years ago, darkness was upon our world in maybe a greater depth than it is now today. There had been 400 years of silence between God and man. 
Darkness was covering over the entire world. And then in one night, the light of the world came. And we sing about this at Christmas time, going silent night, holy night. Was it a silent night when Jesus came? If you read the account of the Christmas story, it was anything but silent. Herod, King Herod, was seeking to snuff out the Christ child. He learned that the Christ was come, the Messiah was here as a babe, as an infant, and he said, not on my watch. And he was the little puppet from the devil, and the King Herod tried to snuff out the Christ child, and darkness was everywhere. But you can't snuff out the light of the world, can you? He was never going to be successful. So the light of the world came, and the light of the world from that moment started to remove the darkness from our world, from our culture. And even today, if we listen to Scripture, the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shown. And I'm thankful for that, because just like you, I start to think that maybe the world is getting worse and worse and worse, and maybe we should just throw our hands up in the air and say, we quit, we're losing, it's over. But it's not true, because the Bible says it's not true. And sometimes we just need to listen to the word of God instead of how the culture is shaping our perspective. Regardless of what I see, this is what God says. And what God says trumps what I see. True? Let me give you an illustration of this. I can't think of a better illustration than this, even though it's my dad's. I'm going to steal it from him. He wouldn't care. So I'm going to use it. My dad started his ministry just like I started my ministry. It's interesting how you follow your parents. I started my ministry in Michigan just like my dad started his ministry in Michigan. My dad grew up in northeast Pennsylvania, and then he moved to Michigan to start his ministry and spent seven, eight years there before we moved. How long was it, Mom? Something like that. Eight years. And so he lived right in Ann Arbor, Michigan, right next to the University of Michigan. And my dad became a very big Wolverines fan. And then God called him to move to Iowa, where my mom is from. And we spent six years there. How many years were we there? Something like that. And so mom's whole family was from Iowa. So there was a time that my, uh, my dad's brother-in-law, my uncle, was living with us for a time. And he was a big Iowa Hawkeyes fan. And my dad was a big Michigan Wolverine fan. And so they were set to play each other in basketball. This is in the 80s sometime. And this is before all the, the nifty gadgets we have today. They had something back in the day called VCRs. And you remember those? So if you weren't able to watch something live, you had to take one of those tapes and put it in the VCR and set the timer. And so my dad and my uncle decided that they wanted to watch the game, but they had to work, so they were going to miss it. So they were going to tape the game. They were going to put a tape in, tape the game, and then they agreed that they would watch it together later on with food. And they also made a vow that they would not find out the score of the game before they watched it together. Remember this, Mom? So they both made this vow, and my dad, on the way home from work, turned on the radio. And my dad's station always defaulted to either oldies or sports. So this time it was sports, and he heard that Michigan had defeated Iowa in triple overtime. Now, my, my dad's team was Michigan. And so now he knew the end of the game, the end of the score. And so he didn't want to break the night, break the event with, with his brother-in-law. So he decided to carry on as if he didn't know. So they got together. They popped in the old VCR videotape, had their pizza or whatever they were eating, and they started to watch the game. Well, at the end of the fourth quarter, I was up by several points. And my, my uncle starts to taunt my dad as if to say, we finally got you. We got you now. I was going to take Michigan down, and my dad sits there with a little smirk on his face because he knows what's going to happen. Michigan rallies back, ties it right before the end of the buzzer, and they go into overtime. 
First overtime, the same thing happens. Iowa goes up by six or eight points, and my uncle's thinking, we finally got you, and he starts rubbing it into my dad, and my dad's smirk just keeps getting a little bigger. And Michigan does the same thing. He ties it up right before the buzzer, and they go into triple overtime. And, or double overtime. And they go into double overtime, the same thing happens. It's the same trend. Michigan falls down by several points. My uncle thinks they're going to win. He rubs it in my dad's face, and my dad's smirk continues to grow and grow. And then in triple overtime, Michigan blows Iowa out by double-digit points. And now my dad is in full-time laughter. Because what happened? He's in full confidence the entire time that even though his team was trailing, it was going to win. Who's going to win? You tell me. Jesus is going to win. We know the end of the score. He's told us the end of the score so that we have confidence that when things look bleak, we should keep our faith because we know how this thing ends. And the reason we know that is because Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Do you remember what he said about the devil? He will bruise my heel, but I will crush his head. And what did he do on the cross? And what did he do three days later? He crushed the head of the serpent. And today, even though the devil is still around and he's crafty and vicious and cruel, he's fighting from a place of defeat. And we, even though it feels like everything's against us as Christians, we're fighting from a place of victory. And God has promised it. And we need to remember that. That the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John's going to tell us today to pick our team. Pick our team between light and darkness. You now know who's going to win. The light is going to win. The light was always going to win, but now we know in full confidence that light is going to defeat darkness. And now John, in the couple verses following this, is going to tell us to pick our team and choose very carefully. Because one team looks like it's winning, but the other team has been guaranteed victory. Notice what he says in verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light, that's the claim that we make, and hates his brother. Remember what Jesus said about murder? To us, hatred is no big deal. Usually it's like, you know what? They deserve it. They treated me bad. They shouldn't have said what they said. They shouldn't have done what they did. And therefore, today, this week, I hate them. And until we understand that hatred is murder. And hatred is living in the darkness. John says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness. Because it's not a working equation. You can't hate and follow Jesus Christ at the same time. Conversely, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we have to walk in the light in order to be in the light? Or do you believe that you can just assume you're in the light because you made some kind of decision when you were little, and regardless of how you walk, regardless of how you live, God's going to say, no, it doesn't matter, you said a prayer, you're in the light. No, that's not how the scripture speaks. The scripture says you must walk according to what you are. And if you don't walk according to what you are, then you should question that what you say you are is what you really are because it couldn't be. It couldn't be. You can't walk in hatred. It doesn't mean you can't slip and fall. We all slip and fall from time to time, unfortunately. There's not a license to slip and fall, but it's true. But you know what we can't do? Walk in the darkness. We can't live in the darkness. We can't abide in the darkness and also assume that we're in the light. It's not a working equation. Albert Einstein, although I don't think he was a Christian... He once said this, he said, God did not create evil, just as darkness is the absence of light, evil is the absence of God. Isn't that interesting? 
that by walking in evil, by simply practicing evil, guess who's not with you? God. God is not with you when you practice evil. He is not fellowshipping with you when you practice hatred. And over here is evil. And we need to call darkness what it is. It's evil. And actually, it's a phrase that I would call, that the scripture calls, godlessness. That when you're walking in evil, when you're doing what is evil, when you're hating your brother and murdering those who God has created, God says you're evil. And on the other side is God. And what does it say about God? One of the things we already talked about, God is love. How do you know you're with God? How do you know you follow Jesus Christ? Because you spend most of your time in the light. Most of your time following what is right. Following what is righteous. Listening to God's commandments. And obeying them. And John's just reminding us that the equation cannot work according to the other way. Now in Matthew 22, Jesus often gave these parables. And in Matthew 22, he's giving the end of a parable. We don't have the time to look at the whole thing. But he's, he's comparing the kingdom of God to a marriage ceremony, a wedding ceremony. And he says at the end of Matthew 22, this is Jesus speaking. And remember, this means something a little bit deeper than what it sounds like. He says, when the king, who's the king? Jesus. Now he's speaking in a parable, so the king is, is not yet stated as Jesus, but we know that he's referring to himself. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. No wedding garment is symbolic for not being righteous, not being clothed in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the king comes and finds there's someone there who doesn't have righteousness upon him. And he says to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the person he's speaking to is speechless. He had nothing to say back to him. Maybe he assumed he was invited. Maybe he assumed that he was a friend of the king. But he doesn't have the wedding garment. And that's confusing to the king. Because those who were invited would have the garment of righteousness upon them. So he says in verse 13... Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus wants one thing to be very crystal clear to us today. If we practice the darkness, guess where we belong? In the outer darkness. Now that's not God's desire for any of us. God's desire for us is that we all find the light and come into the light. In fact, that's why he came to this earth. But if we don't repent of our sins and we don't follow Jesus Christ in the light. There's going to be a grave, a grave outcome for those who claim to be gods but spend their life in the darkness. They're going to find themselves cast into the darkness forever because that's where they belong. And that's hard to preach. That's hard to hear. I know it is, but we need to understand that, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God told us that. When we first started 1 John, we wrestled with that. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So if we're fellowshipping with the darkness, if we're walking in the darkness and we're saying that we're Christians and we're following Jesus Christ, John says it cannot be so. It cannot be true because two plus two does not equal nine. And that's hard to grapple with, I know. But what should it encourage us to do? Stay in the light. It's that simple. In verse 11, he says this, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. 
And he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What does that remind you of? Our culture. Why is the culture so bad? Why is it so perverse? Why is it so wicked, so contrary to the way God set it up? Have you ever tried to walk in pitch black? You ever tried to walk with your eyes completely blindfolded? How do you do with that? You don't do well. (laughs) Try it sometime. No, don't try it. That's a bad idea. You're going to break something. But it doesn't go well when you don't have the light, when you don't have understanding of where you're going. You can't navigate properly. Doesn't that remind you of our culture? They're going the wrong way. And they think it's righteousness. To them, it sounds right. To them, it sounds pure. To them, it sounds holy. But to those who know the light and have been in the light, we're looking at it going, that's the wrong way. But a culture is walking in the darkness and they cannot see. And that's one thing for the culture to do it, for, for those who don't claim to have Jesus Christ. But what about those who do? Our culture has this mentality that it's kind of this road rage mentality that if someone does something evil to you, you have every right to do something evil back because they deserve it. Sure, you don't want to start darkness, but if darkness comes against you, the best power move that you can have is give darkness a taste of its own medicine and hit darkness with darkness. And that'll show them. Right? That's how sometimes we think, going, man, the only way for darkness to understand how dark they are, they are is to give them some of their own medicine. Does that ever work? No. Does it ever work to give darkness more darkness? They love it. It's exactly what they want. They, they love darkness. Give us more darkness. They're not going to change based on darkness. When I was in seventh grade, uh, I had an encounter with a bully. And I wasn't bullied a lot in school. I went to a public school, but there were a couple occasions that I was. And there was this big bruiser of a kid in seventh grade. And I don't know what I did to this kid, but he came and just pushed me to the ground hard. And my stuff went flying. My books, my papers... And just pushed me down. I had no reason, for, no idea why he did such a thing. And I was angry. I was angry at that bully, even though he was twice my size. And in seventh grade, I had kind of a sharp tongue. <laughs> kind of an acid tongue. So I stood up in anger. And I said something. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but this kid was an overweight big kid. And I said something about his weight. And I heard him. And I could tell that I heard him because his countenance changed. Whatever I said hurt this boy. And I honestly thought, there, good. How's it feel? That's what you deserve. For like four seconds. And then you know how I started to feel? Horrible. Because I just encountered darkness with more darkness. And it didn't make me feel good at all. And I said from that moment on, I don't want to be, I don't want to be on this team anymore. I don't want to be in the dark team anymore. It doesn't feel good to hit darkness with darkness. What does darkness need? Light and love. That's what it needs. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. We have to understand that today. Jesus Christ did not just come to forgive us our sins and say, carry on, whatever you do, your your sins are forgiven you, you'll sin with impunity from now on. No, he said, I've come to remove you from that team. And place you on a brand new team that's all about love and righteousness and holiness and godliness. So if you're a part of the light, you will love your brother. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. Do you notice that? No cause for stumbling when you love. No cause for a tragic fall. Sometimes we stumble, right? And it feels bad to stumble. I don't like stumbling. I don't like stumbling physically. I don't like stumbling spiritually. 
And John tells us that if we walk in love, if we practice love, there will be no cause for stumbling in a tragic way in our lives. Because guess who we're following? Jesus. And when you follow Jesus Christ, even though things aren't going to be easy in this world, you're on the winning team. When we looked at John 11 a little while ago, Jesus was um, going to where Lazarus, his friend, had passed away. The problem was, is he was, had to go to Judea to find Lazarus. That's where Lazarus was. And the last time Jesus was in Judea, he encountered some really bad guys who wanted to end his life and were willing to throw rocks at him in order to kill him. So he had to go back to Judea to visit Lazarus, and the disciples were like, Jesus, that's not a good idea. The last time you were in Judea, this really bad thing happened. You were almost killed. And Jesus answered them with this phrase. He said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Isn't that simple? That although danger and darkness seem to be in Judea, Jesus said it's God's will. And if I follow God, guess what, guess what I'm in? Guess who I have with me? I have the light with me. And when I walk in the light, regardless of how things look, regardless of how dangerous they are, I will not stumble in the light. Where will I stumble? In the darkness. Where the evil is, where the selfishness is, where the greed is, where the darkness is. That's where I stumble. And I hope we're reminded today of how important love is. And this is our last one that we're going to look at today, is how to love. There's an old commandment and a new commandment. There's light versus darkness. And we're going to run through this very quickly. But how to love. I don't want to leave us hanging today. Because this is the whole point of what he's talking about today. We love John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world. Aren't you glad that it didn't have put a comma there and said that he came down and told us how wicked we all were and that we're all going to hell? Aren't you glad that John 3.16 doesn't say something similar to that? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why did God come down? To love so we could walk in the light, so we could follow him to the kingdom of God. The next verse says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Did the world need more condemnation, more hatred, more darkness? No, they needed salvation. They needed someone to turn the light on for them. And Jesus came down to turn the light on for the entire world so that we could understand that only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that by following him, we will follow the light forevermore. One of the phrases Jesus said on the cross, which is so remarkable, do you remember this? While those who were hanging him on the cross and hurling insults at them, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're in the dark. I've come to turn the light on, and they're still in the darkness. Father, have mercy upon those who are still in the darkness. He did not say, God, get them. Get them. Send the angels, send the lightning, send the fire, get the people who hung me on this cross. Get them, Lord. He said, Father, forgive them. The only way they'll understand is if light comes into their soul. And Lord, that is my desire, that light comes into their soul. Aren't you thankful that's God's desire for us? It's not condemnation. Light and love and mercy so that we turn around and go, what am I doing? What am I following today? I don't want to stumble anymore. And we turn around and say, Jesus, guide us. And he says, I will. So let's look very quickly how to love. Four things quickly. Treat others as we want to be treated. It's that simple. 
Don't you love that Jesus is the one who made up the golden rule? The golden rule has been hijacked by our culture going, yeah, that's a great way to love. The interesting thing about it is Jesus said that. They heard that from Jesus. He said in Matthew 7, 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a pretty good standard for life, isn't it? If it's something that you want done to you, do that to your neighbor. If it's something you don't want to be done to you, don't do it to your neighbor. Because that's what love looks like. It's a really good standard. We don't like to inflict harm upon ourselves, but it doesn't bother us to inflict harm upon others. And Jesus says, well, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and you'll start to learn love. He also told us to speak the truth in love. The interesting thing about love in our culture is kind of modified the idea of love that it's all about acceptance that no matter what you do no matter what anyone wants to do we just go it's fine do your thing you do you and i will never say anything against it that is that really love ephesians 4:15 says but speaking the truth in love we may grow up into him in all things which is the head even christ the devil wants you to pick a team truth or love because you can't have both right you can't have truth and love. So if you want to be on team love, you've got to let truth go. And if you want to be on team truth, you've got to let love go. He's a liar. Because Jesus created both of these. You can love and tell the truth. And you can tell the truth in love. In fact, you must. If you let go of one, you let go of them both. And if you do them both, you're just like Jesus Christ. So we need to tell the truth, but we need to do it with compassion and kindness Charity. Number three, how do we show love? Is show compassion and mercy. It seems really simple. Why should we show compassion and mercy? Because someone showed us compassion and mercy. Isn't it true? I know it is for me. At age 26, I was in a lot of bad things. And I expected to find condemnation and punishment and chastisement and all kinds of bad things from my God. And this is similar to what I found from my God. So Todd, I've come to forgive you. You don't deserve it. But this is my nature. My nature is to forgive you, but also to pick you up today, to dust you off, to cleanse you by my righteousness, to blanket you with my cloak of righteousness, and to then set you on the way of light. Because you can't live in the darkness anymore, Todd. Cannot. But from now on, follow the light. And he did it with compassion and mercy. And that's the day that I got up and said, yes, sir, from now on, I'm yours and you're mine. Whatever you say is my delight to follow. Have I done it perfectly? No, I have not done it perfectly. I've stumbled many times along the way. But now I'm characterized by a person walking in the light. It's all because of his compassion and his mercy. If you want to help the world in the darkness of the world, show them compassion. Show them mercy and give them truth. They need the whole package. Number four, how do we love is be willing to sacrifice. And that's the hardest part about love. We love shouting truth at people, right? I love giving everyone a sermon like I do today, guys. Go be better loving. All of you, get out there and be better lovers. But here's the problem. If we don't sacrifice, we don't have a model. Love requires sacrifice. How do we know that it requires sacrifice? John 3.16. By this we know love because God wrote it in the sky. No, that's not what it says. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And there's not a period there. There's a comma there. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The best kind of love requires sacrifice. Are you willing to go to that level? And that's, I know that's a tough question. Are you willing to let go of your stuff, your time, your energy, all your good things in this world to let someone else be blessed and see the light? 
Because when you do, you are so like Jesus. And that should be an honor to follow him that way. Our application today, they're all holding hands. Number one is we cannot follow Jesus without walking in love. Can't be done. If you're going to follow Jesus only in speech, only in knowledge, then you're not following him at all because the primary thing Jesus did was walk in love. Number two, love is the only way to walk in the light following Jesus. And let us learn that once again. If we want to be on team light, let us be on team love. Team light and team love are the same team. Because Jesus told us that. And then number three, only love can defeat the darkness. Remember that. Don't go out there and shove down the bullies. That's not what the bully needs. The bully needs truth and the bully needs compassion and mercy. Are you willing to let the world see that Jesus is still full of compassion and mercy for those who are against him? Let us remember what we received when we deserved condemnation. We received mercy, truth, and forgiveness. Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Are you following Jesus today? And if not, would you start today? It's that simple. If you want to start today and you don't know how to start, come speak to us. Make a meeting with me. I'd love to sit down with you and show with you from the scripture how you can be on team light for the rest of eternity, following Jesus Christ. In every passage we look at from 1 John, there's something that's for his glory and for our benefit. And I think the way we end this today is by simply saying this. Walking in love proves we believe that Jesus is the light of the world. When we say we believe in Jesus, that's how we prove it. We walk in love. And that glorifies God. And walking in the light of this world puts us on the path to eternal life. Isn't that the team you want to be on? Team victory? Team eternal life? Team God? Team light? Team love? Then we've got to line up right behind Jesus and listen to how he taught us. And in that way, only love defeats the darkness. Let's bow and pray. Father, I thank you that this lesson was primarily for me. I believe that it was. I believe that even though I'm the one speaking it today, that I'm in, I'm in the audience as well. I have a lot to learn, Father, on this topic. And I thank you for reminding us today that love is the only way this light will shine in the darkness. And the world is dark. But the darkness is also passing in the way and the true light is already shining. And we have an opportunity to be light sources, light vessels in this dark world. I hope we get out there today, this week, and begin loving those who desperately need it because Jesus loved us when we desperately needed it. Help us to remember that and guide us in that light today. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.